Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Josh. I'm Dave. <laughs> and I'm <Mike>. Josh. <laughs> and this is Does It Suck Now? Now? Now. Now? Now? Now. episode we did the lost boys a fitting episode five movie solo would you like to start us off with a riveting piece of poetry yes yes the the haiku this week i feel sets the tone for discussion well and it is family values sucked dry by teen vampires (laughs) bangs a lot kefir But did you say thanks? Did you say thanks a lot? Thanks a lot. I got to give my wife credit for that pun. But that, yeah. Number one pun. Yeah. I like that pun. That's a good Boom. one. I got to say, I'm pumped to talk about this movie. There's so, whether you liked it or hated it, there's going to be so much shit to talk about from this movie. So let's start I, off with a yeah. description here. I feel like a lot of people have seen this movie, but I'm still going to read the description. And uh, I'm also going to read a little bit from The Atlantic, which I think helps uh, put this into context. Teenage brothers Michael, Jason Patrick, and Sam, Corey Haim, move with their mother, Diane Weiss, to a small town in North California, Santa, Cla- Santa Carla. Carla. Santa Carla. While younger Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits and geeky comic book nerds, Edward, Corey Feldman, and Alan, whoever who cares. Wait, say geeky comic book nerds again. <laughs> Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits in geeky comic book nerds. Edward and Alan, the Frog Brothers, the angst-ridden Michael soon falls for Star, who turns out to be in thrall <laughs> to David, leader of a local mm. gang of vampires. Sam is his new who ride dirt bikes. <laughs> who definitely ride dirt bikes. Yeah, Sam and his new friends natural. must save Michael and Star from the undead. So let me read this one paragraph uh, uh, in four kind of... days. In four <laughs> again, days, four everything days. in the eighties happens over a long holiday weekend. All Time is long. a flat circle. <laughs> uh, this is uh, from a 2017 article uh, in the Atlantic about the 30th anniversary of the Lost Boys. Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys, which turns 30 years old this week, has, in some respects, the very things you'd want from a 1980s horror comedy: big-haired vampires, noisy motorcycles. Big-haired vampires riding noisy motorcycles <laughs> and Corey Feldman. And strobe lights. And strobe lights. True, strobe lights. True to 80s form, the film embraces some of the best excesses of American popular culture, employing ridiculous bloodbaths and over-the-top rock-infused soundtrack as it depicts a family's struggle to fight the small army of leather-wearing teenage demons swarming <laughs> their town. I respectfully disagree with the over the top. What was that? Over the top rocking. Was, not over, over the top quite. rock infused soundtrack, which maybe. <laughs> uh, a lot of music has happened in 30 years. Uh, I'm going to tell you the opening, though, I was immediately like, now that I'm thinking of it from our other Air. ones, 
the, hair. the hair. But no, just the, the opening shot of coming, the helicopter shots now. Uh, I really yeah. am paying attention to them from the Kroll one that when we first did it and uh, Sprague was mentioning it. I love the helicopter shots in this. Like, I, I, I personally, my overall take stance this week is going to be, I think there are definite problems with the plot, as per usual. But I think the movie making, the level of the movie making was really good and made me excuse a shit ton of things that I would have normally picked out. Let me talk about the helicopter shots that you brought All right, up. yes. So the opening one, the camera's wobbly, which is on purpose, but you don't know it. You watch it and you're kind of like, why is it wobbly? It's wobbly because you, re- you don't realize it until later, but it's them flying and they don't fly straight apparently. So I love that. So my other favorite thing was over the water classic shot, which is always like a mystery. Um, the can- helicopter flying over the water. And then later on, after they do the first sequence of introductions and then they switch over to nighttime, they repeat the shot again at nighttime. And he does a second introduction helicopter shot in the beginning of the movie, which I love. Nobody ever does two. Schumacher was like, give me two flying helicopter shots to open this movie. They had had the helicopter for one day and they're like, we're just all day. We have this for the day. It's a flat fee for the day. We're just everybody into the helicopter. We're doing all the shots now. I think I hated the second the unit, I'm going to go out here and get into some uh, inside baseball talk, but I think the second, move, the second unit in this movie is like the true hero. Like they yes. like really tie this film together with all those great helicopter shots, just all the fucking going through the carnival, just like all of that B-roll is just so yeah. awesome. Yeah. This was not a movie made with control. And I, and I think that's, it, it gives it its flaws, but it also makes it extremely unique. And though I could easily, like, in my mind, redo this movie and make it better in a certain way, quote-unquote better, I don't think I would because it's so bizarre. It's so out of control and wild. It's just, like, it feels, like, kind of what you're saying, it feels like it's directed by more than one person. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I think that well, this it was also for a certain part that. of it, right? Didn't yeah. I, I, I read that Richard Donner started being, yeah. like, the main yeah. guy for this movie, and then he it was going so slowly that... He said, um, fuck it. I'm going to go make Lethal Weapon. I'm going to hire Joel, and he's going to finish this. This is essentially what happened. <laughs> and this, oh, is such a Joel, this is such a Joel yeah. Schumacher movie, too. Oh, my Joel God. Sh- Joel it? Schumacher was a set designer before he was a director. And, like, this movie is, like, all about the sets. Like, that fucking cave where they live. Like, the house with all the taxidermy in it. Oh, no, that's yeah, the thing. Like, I feel like on... Sprague's point about the movie being out of control and crazy, those were by far the best parts of the movie. Like, most entertaining is when they're on the boardwalk and it's all this chaos and all this... And then the opposite of it is when they had these like crazy scripted scenes, like either in the house or in the lair, and th- and those were like okay. Is, is Corey Haim a good actor? <laughs> is Corey, is Corey Haim, Haim, Haim a good actor? Yes. Is he good in this movie? This oh, movie, Corey I thought Haim so. Yeah. yeah. I thought you know what I'm going to go out on a limb here because I laughed at Corey Haim more than once, and that's another thing when we revisit these sorts of movies: can they actually deliver a line? And can you actually get a giggle out of it? And are you along for the ride? Which is one of the things right. I know Sprague talks about. And so I'm going to say, I think, I don't think he's a good actor. I think Corey Hain was very, he's a personality. He was, he's 
fun at what he does. He was, and, he was yeah. better in his role in this movie than, unfortunately, Andrew McCarthy was in a similar role in his previous movie. I'll put it that way. <laughs> It'll come there's, out there's again. There's definitely one thing I do not believe about Corey Haim is that nobody in 1987 in Phoenix dressed like Corey Haim. Like, no one dresses <laughs> like that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm from Phoenix. That's, that's where you got that fucking weird overcoat. Oh my god, all his like weird collars. Yeah. You didn't get the memo, yeah. Mike, that Phoenix is hot. Hottest place in the world and hot on fashion. Actually, That's... what am I <laughs> what am I compared to, compared, compared to Santa Clara, California or wherever they were, which apparently is the backwoods in the eighties. Punk capital. Santa Clara is the punk capital of the of the fucking world. It's, and it's murder, the capital. murder capital, the murder capital in the movie, and it's and right there on the back capital. of the welcome billboard. And, and uh, nobody bothers to paint that off. In the beginning, you know, like no township person is like, maybe we should spray paint this. Real <laughs> no great. one cares in this town. <laughs> the backstory is this solo. It's not in the budget. They don't have it in the fiscal budget for that year, so they have to leave. It. <laughs> so they're like, damn it, this is well, really gonna look bad. It's <laughs> probably capital. because, like the Frog Brothers said, there's like werewolves in City Hall. Oh right, oh, you're right. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is which I think like there was a potential there to build like a whole Lost Boys universe. Like there's a yeah. Lost Boys two out there with werewolves and City Hall, and there's like a young Mr. Smith goes to Washington City Councilman <laughs> who <laughs> gets roped into this werewolf clan. <laughs> I think it, they, yeah, they should have had the mayor from Jaws. They should have just brought him in, be like, play the exact same character, except you're a werewolf. <laughs> Lost Boys 2. It's like so the exact same character. Done. $25 million. Get to right, work. let's do it. A lot of people in the 70s did look like werewolves, though. Sideburns will do that to you. Dave always likes people. to talk about influence, and I think, like, uh, I don't know if you guys felt this, too, but uh, knowing that Schumacher wasn't really a director yet and was a set designer, it really explains, like, how he just took, like, Spielberg's playbook. And I guess, Donner, you can say the same thing about where like maybe these guys wouldn't maybe like these guys are like they like they learned film by just working with Steven Spielberg and that was their film school, and then they knew and then they just copied his moves and his moves are so good that they're like universally part of the film language now like the well, it's way like his camera moves in football it's like the same fucking thing. It is. I thought the the editing in this that was something immediately to me just at timing of editing because as we all know it's so important when you get your finished product. And the cuts were all like really where they needed to be. So you didn't have too many. I mean, I'm sure we can get detailed, but you didn't have too many times where you're like, why are you just like with Mannequin? There were so many times where I'm like, why are you just sitting on that? Get out. Get yeah. out. Cut it. No, cut this it. movie moves. This movie yeah. keeps it moving. It, yeah. it may, maybe maybe a little too fast, which I think honestly is probably my biggest criticism because <laughs> I really I want. I, not that I want more of the movie, but like there's certain parts of the story that I feel like get completely just chopped out of the storytelling, yeah. and it makes it tough. I feel like you could summarize it in two seconds and be like, vampires, there's a divorce, they move to Santa Clara, boom, they're looking for jobs, there's the kid, and then boom, Michael falls in love with Star, and I have some comments about that concert. Oh, boom. yeah, hold on. Can yeah, we... boom. They, someone's <laughs> right, dating wait, the mom. Right back to that concert. <laughs> Everything oh, that's out. Like <laughs> a favorite moment in it. Can we the jump into that concert moment. real quick? Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Uh, Timmy Capello. Timmy so Capello. So I guess we should have we we tied it into, like, 
the helicopter shot leads you to the boardwalk where the sweatiest, uh, strangely attended saxophone rock concert is happening. And it's like the guy from CNC Music Factory, it looks like, with like a saxophone. Who is... It was like jacked shirtless Kenny G with the chains on. It's like smooth jazz with a rock and roll beat, and these punk rockers are like going nuts. Like Kenny Capello. Like yeah. Who? Like Dave. Who? Is Hold that on, I, gotta, I wanna write this down. <laughs> <laughs> like you know this guy? Who is this? Oh, I looked it up because we have the Amazon thing where you can pause it, and his name is Timmy Capello. Mm. Timmy, and he, <laughs> and he had a hit that year, right? He had a hit that year, Timmy Capello. So they were like trying to, I think, combine like his hit single, this and that. And just for fun, I wrote down some tour names for that tour that happened for him in 87. (laughs) And it's called Timmy Capello, was it Rock Saxophones? And the Rock Saxophones, that's what. Timmy Capello, No Shirt Tour. It's literal and still interesting. (laughs) Timmy Capello will sax you to death. <laughs> Timmy Capello and Hot Sax. Um, sax you up with Timmy Capello. Sax on the beach. Um, come on. That's the yeah, one. We're going to win for it. Here's the last one. Hang in there. Robbing Sax with Timmy Capello. Oh, robbing Sax. Robbing Sax. He is my nomination this week for Jesus Abs. Oh, Jesus Abs. Well, let me, let me, before we get into (laughs) it further, I do want to say that. Sorry, Sprague. Tim Capello is from Tina Turner's band, so he was already famous for for playing with Tina Turner. Oh, nice. Also, I had a a strange senior moment. Uh, So I was like, we're watching this. I'm watching it again with Star's family, and I'm like, oh, that guy died. So tragic. That guy died. And then later in my research, I realized he didn't die. Uh-huh. The guy, who, <laughs> saxophone player who played the Baker Street, you know that song? He died. So oh. everybody who I told Maybe. that Tim Capello is dead, I, I was wrong. He's alive. He's fine. <laughs> we should have him call him great show. <laughs> so the vibe of this movie, we should talk about it. It's like great. It's like it's like it's like eighty. It's like an adult version of eighties rebellion. Like an adult at the time, like a baby boomer's view of eighties rebellion through the dying sixties, like the death of the sixties. Kind of. It's very. Yeah, this absolutely. is like the most baby boomer movie I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, oh my yeah. god! It was it was oh, basically. Totally. The whole and I don't mean that in the meme way. I just no, mean in the generation and what it's their like, culture was. I felt like the baby tone boomer. of this movie was just like a baby boomer looking at a hair metal guy and just shaking his head. <laughs> like, yeah. that was, that's Do you the think Schumacher actually had a love and like an understanding of this culture that he was trying to replicate? Because I don't. I just think it looked like a music video. It's, it's funny not, you should ask that, way. Sprague. I, I have it written down here in a, a quote, clearly written by a guy who doesn't understand the culture he's trying to comment on, end quote. Yeah. But, <laughs> I don't think it affects I, the movie. In his God, defense, Mike. I think that that's what kind of makes this movie a little timeless. Right. Like, I think that the fact that he just 
doesn't lean so hard into the 80s, even though it's obviously in the 80s. Uh, rather, his impression of it makes it like, I don't know, I bought this movie in 2020. Like, I watched it and I'm just like, it, it was like uh, how they do Stranger Things and everybody's just like, yeah, man, it's, that's what the 80s was like. You know, that's what yeah. the Lost Boys is like in a weird way. In the, you know, they made it in the 80s, but in a way, it holds up to the parody of the 80s. I mean, yeah, they don't, you, they don't I, obviously don't ram it down I, your throat like Stranger Things, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> I want to I wanna comment back on Sprague. I, I do agree with your comment, Mike, but I don't... I'm going to go back to this because what we said after we finished the podcast last week on Mannequin, when you said one of the producers on Mannequin um, was like the king of the focus group, right? Yeah. And it makes so much more sense why that movie is the way it is after that because they that was, just mm-hmm. focus group the shit out. Yeah. I think that comment was... came after we stopped recording. So you're it's saying it, it now yeah. for the first, and that was a great point. Yeah. I agree. Sorry, go ahead. And I think that that is part of Lost Boys, in my opinion. I think that Schumacher's and and maybe Donner's, I think their vision definitely got through. But I think that this is so much that's happening at the time because immediately Corey uh, Hain has the, like, no TV, no TV. You know what that means, man? No MTV. I like, know. he says that in the <laughs> very beginning. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that they're trying to obviously, yeah. like, this is the error. This is 87, you know? Like, it's so big that you see those, like, really big um, – what is it, you know, like corporate sponsors sort of thing in the movie of like, who are we trying to play this to? And we're not going to make any yeah. effort to hide it. If, or make- if, if you remake this okay. movie, you could just easily go, oh man, there's no cell phone or internet up here because of the mountains. And yeah. then you just base the whole town around not having that. And the movie doesn't change at all and set in 2020. <laughs> or right? you could say, you could say right. there's no MTV. Oh, that means no Jersey Shore and Team Mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And then the older Same brother would say, thank yeah. God. <laughs> thank God. All right. Can yeah. I say Jason Patrick looks like he's uh, 45? Yeah. <laughs> he's very old. He's a very he old 18-year-old. He looks so, good. So, he like, he's looks so 20... good in this movie. Dude is hot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's hot. I'm just going to say it. Dude's hot. So much smoldering. They, they have jawlines in this movie that like would shred you. All over this movie. And I was I was very excited to see Bill S. Preston Esquire on that yeah. carousel when he came yeah. around as the first guy in the movie. I was like, yeah, dude. He's I wrote down Alex, Alex Winter's half shirt. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> every time every time they walked into a store in the beginning of the movie and they all like walked by and everybody got a chance to be like <laughs> old dudes and like make a face like that i loved it i could have watched that for like two hours just them walking. i would the love trouble, it the trouble causing punk scenes were all awesome people yeah. it was amazing i would truly love great. to find out where that trope comes from because i it's hard for me that even in 1987 you're a gang it was in reality time yeah uh, well yeah. that they're all like <laughs> well that's true <laughs> you know i i get it but you don't you remember all the movies growing up like there was always the punkers especially in the 80s was just and it was always the similar like little rascals dead end well not little rascals sorry like dead end boys thing dead end gang. We're coming in we're causing trouble ha ha <laughs> I guess it's still maybe you're right, Solo. Like in the beginning of time, young people walk into a store. The, the old will always fear the young. That well, is <laughs> right. That's why. There's that's a it. quote. 
from from like Socrates or Aristotle or somebody who's just like you know the youth of today don't like respect anything they don't respect their elders they have funny hair and weird clothes. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely an Aristotle that, quote. And that is Mike got that from the book that is in our bathroom at our dad's house called yeah. Weird History <laughs> and it's right there and I've read that same quote so many times. That's how I learned everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the toilet. Sitting on the toilet. Our locker room book. humor. <laughs> So were you guys were you guys more into the Molly Ringwald poster that was like five foot by four foot, or the incredibly sexy Rob Lowe poster on the other side of the room in the <laughs> same room? Which were you well, the, the, I, the Rob Lowe poster placement was intentional, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. did. Write I feel like that was Joel Schumacher's set design. There, he's into like like androgynous eighties uh, mm-hmm. men. He loves it. I did write down that Corey Haim was maybe bi curious. That's what I was thinking. Like, I, but I honestly Maybe, think that, that might have been intentional. That might oh, have been totally. like Schumacher, like adding his mise en scène into it. You know, the, the the design of the the information given to you from the set and the costumes and all that, and like, totally. I think that was done there on purpose. Absolutely. Well, and also, <laughs> case point, um, the bathtub scene. I mean, is how old is he supposed to be in this movie? <laughs> oh yeah, when he's like splish oh, yeah. taking a bath. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's supposed to be definitely 15, 16, yeah. something like that. <laughs> I don't know many 15-year-olds that enjoy taking a bath like that. Not that I know many 15-year-olds <laughs> at all. No, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I love baths. Yeah. I mean, baths are yeah. fun, but still, that's all. <laughs> oh, by the way, I want to go back real quick. Opening credits, which I really did love, the you know, When You're a Stranger, uh, the Doors cover, and them filming everyone on the pier, as we were talking about. But if you pause it real quick, there is one blonde punk rock chick who is licking a rat. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I saw that. And I paused it, and I had to go back to how shit. hardcore it is. I totally missed that. She's just <laughs> kissing it, and then suddenly the tongue comes out, and she goes, oh, no, she's licking it. <laughs> when is she holding the rat can you i'm yeah, gonna need to go yeah. back and like watch this again yeah no you can clearly see it it's like center of the screen wow. and we'll move on after this the dog has a credit i love it the dog uh, is named both Brody. dogs was both dogs Nook. are credits yeah oh, i think Nook was the good dog yeah um, Nook was the... so uh <laughs> while we're while we're tying into old podcasts Corey Haim was our breathless 80s actor of this movie. His mouth is open the entire movie, and he's just like, uh, in every scene. He's also a close talker. He's always mm-hmm. close to people's faces the whole fucking movie. It was kind of weird that I like, noticed that throughout the whole movie. He's very close to everybody, especially to Jason Patrick in the flying scene, at the end of the flying scene. Yes. When he pulls him in the bathroom, they're, like, like, they're acting like they're in a romantic scene, but they're brothers, and it's very bizarre. He David, like your brother. Do you guys ever like stick your faces into each other in the no. bathroom? No. Did, did that, you ever? Back yeah. Then? I mean, that that is how we had to communicate brotherly love. No. It was like a force field. Say, what do I? I, might... I don't have a brother. <laughs> I don't know. We just like punched, or <laughs> <laughs> that's different. <laughs> but Dave, to your, he carried uh, Corey Haim with the delivery in this movie and the way he approached it, I think was your, uh, Catskills comic, uh, in the Lost Boys movie. He, he was, he was taking shots and like throwing out one-liners and 
wearing weird robes and you know getting real close to jason patrick all that stuff it was all very like old school acting oh and you have the line you want to say the line don't you solo of when also that the brothers are holding hands as they walk through the oh yes on the boardwalk well and then then, he he says to his brother i'm at the mercy of your sex glands (laughs) (laughs) from the movie you I delivered think, it very differently than it was delivered in the movie, though. So. Well, that's how I, that's you, how I heard it. Yours. <laughs> that's how I heard it, and that's why I wrote it down, because I was like, that's a weird thing to say. I, he does just, I love the when, he, when, when Jason Patrick is, like, turning vampire, and Corey Haynes pissing him off, and he just goes, go take your bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good interaction lines like that. Actually, it's that good. was kind of awesome, part of it, yeah. was, anyway. That whole scene <laughs> We're in the bath though when the dog like uh like he's underwater and the dog attacks him and the door closes yeah it is, uh, it's amazing it's still so funny like the way it's he so comes up from the water and he's just like oh what's going on they think i'm not afraid I'm, yeah. to underscore their scariest moments with a joke which i i as it grew on me through the movie i really appreciated that that was funny there was a lot of funny stuff in the final end battle Oh yeah, uh, that we can talk about later. I I like that because that when the dog yeah. jumps, you're scared, you're yeah. tense. But then when he pops out of the bathtub, you're like cracking <laughs> up and laughing at how ridiculous it is. It's great. <laughs> what did you think, Mike? Especially like I thought the use of sound and the sound design in this movie was finally one of the first movies that I was like, oh my god, that's so like what you expect it to be. It's a character. They use it well the noises, everything that they do in it, it's, like, really amazing. And I was like, ah, <laughs> great, finally. Really, there was a lot of really simple things that I really appreciated. Uh, and, and this is just true of the whole movie with special effects and everything, where uh, the sounds are, are, at this point, so iconic, just, like, the whispering dialogue repeated throughout, which is something I use in sound design when I was, like, actually uh, editing a friend's film where I would take the dialogue and use it because there's a lot of scenes of just a man thinking. So I'll take a lot of dialogue from previous scenes and sort of like make it very ghostly sounding. Uh, also, m- one of my favorite things, the wind chimes. The wind mm-hmm. chimes, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they really set the mood. Uh, of When you hear a slow wind chime, you know everything's cool. And then because it's like, it looks stupid to look to watch them green screen flying, and I'm so glad that that is really rare in this movie. But one of the cool things was they used so many other things, like the lights and the wind chimes, to be like the vampires are coming. The wind picks up; they're getting closer. The wind chimes get louder, and so on. But it's like those little touches. I thought was like he's yeah. worked, he's like not going to show you a stupid special effect. He's going to just build this with the natural elements that are available to him. Like a lot of, I'm sure a lot of that was like on set wild sound. So I I think, and and I I think part of that has to do with, it's got to go back to Schumacher on that one. Cause I think there's a lot to praise about him and criticize like what you're saying, like the, like the hiding the vampires flying and saving the wire work for really effective scenes where they, they could stage it in a way that it like worked and felt supernatural instead of feeling fake. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he went to the well too much on the, like keep the camera low and on the faces of people seeing the flying vampires, but never seeing the flying vampires. And I wonder if like, he just did not, I think Joel Schumacher did not have quite enough tricks in his bag to give this movie the final push it needed. 
to maybe get mm. to like a slightly higher level. But that's mm. also I don't want to like make it like I want. I completely agree with that. But I think a better director maybe might not have made as good a movie in a weird way, but but maybe <laughs> could have had a couple more tricks that would have upped the like wow factor, especially as it ramped up at the end. Like at the end, I needed something. I needed like yeah. a vampire coming out of the dark or something like some new shot that we hadn't seen to add one more level of like supernatural yeah. to it. Yeah, well, the show the shark. The, like it wasn't it even the, the wow factor in like certain scenes, which absolutely I thought it was a little. It felt pretty dated. Um, you know, obviously trying to give it all the respect and context that you need to for an '80s movie, but it still felt dated, and. You know, everything categorizes this as a horror movie, like a horror comedy. Just take out the horror. Like, I don't know. Maybe it was, it just, no. there was nothing. It was not scary. But I don't like, agree with anything you just said. I thought the wild you, was awesome. And I would never take the horror out of this. No, movie. no, but I mean, not, don't, don't like take the horror element out, but just don't call it a horror movie. In 87, you know what else came out and is a terrifying movie Hellraiser. That yeah, Hellraiser is a horror movie. Out. This is not a fucking horror movie. That's my point. Why isn't it, though? Why isn't it a horror movie? It's scary. There's disgusting gore. Uh, it's not. Alex Winter's death is horrid. That one <laughs> is. I agree. Wait, when he, hold on. Out when he sprays glitter blood? Yeah. Stays on, that was disgusting. No, no, no. I mean, come, no. A, no, it's not. B, it's glitter blood. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's like it's a comedy. But that's the thing. I think it worked both. I thought it was hilarious and horrifying at the same time, and I love it. I, that's what I, I love. I don't know if you can. That's Evil Dead. I don't know if that was Lost Boys. Solo. Uh, I was kind of in your camp for like a little while watching this movie, where I was like, "Okay, it's a comedy horror. Where's the horror?" But the one scene that got me was the scene where they rip the roof off the car and they pull that woman like into the night. That was like really, really scary, and she just disappears <laughs> in the darkness. It looks so good, and it's like I don't know. It was just really well done. Like uh, I love it when when that's like another simple trick. Like they just pull the woman into the abyss. It looks awesome. I thought that, that right away of how much they didn't show, and also does that woman and do those two punks live in that car? Well, no. That was <laughs> were they the same couple from the from the merry-go-round in the beginning? That they start getting into a yes. fight with, and yes. they get kicked yeah. up. All right, so okay. I, so it all I love a movie that just drops you in the middle of some shit that's already going down, and just plop, plops you right in there, and you're like, "All right, like here we go. Let's like and and trust that you'll figure out the world as you go." And I really appreciated that about this movie. There was some shit going down between that gang and the vampire gang for like weeks, probably. Yeah, the Nazi the vampires are like, you know what? Like we're flexing now. We're gonna fuck these motherfuckers up. Yeah, like it's time. The surf Nazis. Surf Nazis, yeah. Surf Nazis. Yes. yeah. From the credits, and- legitimately like <laughs> called surf, not, surf Nazis in the credits mm-hmm. of this movie. So good. So, <laughs> that's exactly what they were. Oh, and by the way, Emily said she misses TV Guide, and that movie made her miss TV Guide. You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV Guide. Read the TV Guide. You don't need a TV. Oh, oh man, the grandpa. Okay. <laughs> So I have a question I want to ask you guys. What do you think Star's plan was? Who, what was the vampire's name? Kiefer Sutherland? David. David. If David, if David didn't, um, I thought Corey Haim was David. I had it wrong. Uh, if David Sam. doesn't show up, if, oh, Sam, that's right. If David doesn't stop <laughs> Star from driving away with Michael that first night, 
what do you think Star's plan is that night? How do you think that night happens? What goes down? She she Wait. tells him later in the movie. She says, "I was supposed to kill you." Basically, right? But what you're do you think? What, what's your version of the story? You know, in like in classic literature, they call it the almost epic or whatever. I think it's called when like there's a moment early in the story where the whole story gone a different way if something doesn't happen, and that's like that moment. If she goes off with Michael into the night, where does our story go? What happens? France. <laughs> I want a serious answer. I want to know what you guys think. What do you think she wanted to do? What do you, what do you think Star was going to do? Was, do you think she, she was going to kill him, or do you think yes, she was going to like make she, out with him and then tells kick him out? Michael? She tells Michael. That's what she was I think told in the to do. What do you think she would do? She's a half vampire because she hasn't killed anybody yet, right? And she was. But do you think she would have killed him? Yes. Oh yeah. Done. I don't think she would. I don't over. think she would have killed him. Uh. Uh-uh. I don't think she, she likes him. They smolder. They, they yeah. exchange smoldering looks during a saxophone concert. He's, That's he's, he's married. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, and he freaks out and goes to the cave to seek her help. And the lines I have written down are, "I'm turning into a vampire. I'm freaking out. What a funk." <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So she goes, "I can't help you." I thought it was like, "I can't help you." So let's let's fuck. Let's. Yeah, I can like, fuck yeah. you. I can't help you. I can. He's having like a total like. <laughs> breakdown of like mind body and soul and like goes seeking help and she's like and you want a piece of this she's like oh, yeah sure and then she's like do you like she's like do you like prince because we're going to reenact one of his videos right now and he's bad <laughs> that's exactly what it is david fincher or michael bay could make a good lost boys movie no i go with michael bay if, if i had to choose Okay. I'm going to tell you, now, here's what happens. They drive off More into the night. She gets him. <laughs> then it's just Michael and her. Like, they're going to kill um, Max. That's what they're going to do. Like, I think that she falls in love with him because apparently in every Ooh. fucking 80s movie, they fall in love over a smoldering saxophone okay. lust look. But, yeah, she goes off, and then she's like, I can't do it. And then maybe the the kid is like, I don't really want to be a vampire star. And then she's like, you have to help us. That's my serious answer. And then, and then wait, my non-serious wait, wait. answer is... What happened? You froze. You froze. Josh, you froze. It out. There's a lot of emotions in vampire movies, man. It's all emotions. <laughs> I had an exciting idea, but I interrupted Dave. I'm sorry. I was going to say my non-serious idea is that the little kid was like, I was a drummer boy in the Civil War. Somehow I made it here. <laughs> and that's, that's my next jacket. Actually, that's another good question. How old are these vampires? Not old. The boy and and... Star are not old. When you're like vampire age or in real age. No, no, they haven't been half vampires very long. The boy's face was on a milk carton. True. uh, That and then and she's been with and she also hasn't had a kill. So you gotta figure that yeah, you know, I don't know how old, how long, a year maybe, two years, but not like thirty years. Long enough for them to be on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's. True. But no, that's the thing. This kid, <laughs> whatever his name was, the kid, the long-haired vampire kid, I just was looking at the, the whole scene where he like tries to attack him even at the end too. And then what I've written down is, is there anything sadder than a child vampire? Like in every mm. movie, the, the child vampires, are just it's like it's sad. If there was like ever a, like a real heart-wrenching, sad horror movie kind of part of the movie, it's like watching – Kid vampires and pretty much are you movie. are you jumping to interview with a vampire, Kirsten yeah. Dunst? 
Well, there's that. Yeah. There's like there's a kid I, vampire. I, let the right one in. Yeah. Oh, sad, yeah. sad kid yeah. vampire. Like I mean, it's let's, just. Let's just take a moment on the podcast to like think about sad child vampires. It's the sad and all that unrealized potential. Moment of silence, guys. Moment of silence for the kid vampires. Oh, Danny boy. We <laughs> did that. We really did <laughs> that. That was, that was not like silent. A, that was. <laughs> all right. <laughs> back on target. <laughs> so wait, back to how old they are. There, uh, there, there was an inclination that I think maybe Kiefer Sutherland is older because he Probably. talks about like the history of the place that they're staying. But also, I, I feel like the punk vampires are more recent because they're homeless, and their master guy, uh, Max, is, uh, is an older vampire because he has like he's wealthy i don't know because he owns a video i got that yeah Yeah, but what he does with his generations of wealth is he writes vhs he's making good money (laughs) and that video store is pimped out there's like 100 tvs in that store like that's a boardwalk store and it was his house they got tapes that was his house tapes no no they have one scene near to the end of the movie where yeah yeah, yeah. the bridge the crime yeah bridge and he, oh no, they had the bridge, but she, he actually has dinner with her and they show the inside of his house and mm-hmm. it looks, it looks just so 80s out. With it's the so... ascending neon light uh, <laughs> sculpture. Oh yeah. It's burned into my brain yeah. for watching this earlier today. Oh, yeah. I love neon. Neon great. Big trouble, little China, <laughs> wedding scene. Love it. <laughs> malls, malls people. Um, I also, <laughs> so I want to just talk real quick too, and I have to do it timeline timeline it's so amazing it didn't bother me as much this time as it did in mannequin but i still think it's hilarious where it's like he it is four days and i and michael gets turned into a vampire on his second night there and i was just like damn michael's having a rough time man like i'm glad you pointed this out dave because i i feel like you can't i i want everybody to admit that you can't bang mannequin as hard as you did <laughs> as hard as you did as hard as andrew mccarthy did over, over the timing that was we discussed this whatever it. you do at home is fine yeah. <laughs> but seriously not in you can't, you can't solve knock the mannequin. mannequin as hard as you did over the four-day timeline <laughs> if this thing is also happening over four days it ties in the uh what we talked about where like if it's a good movie you don't care if it's a, yes. when you care right. about shit like that it's because the movie's bad if right. you don't care about shit like that the movie's good if it took us less than an hour to solve the problem that andrew mccarthy had in mannequin that, that a room full of writers who had like a year to make this movie a lot in, of writers yeah. it's not a good movie and no. kilos of cocaine so this was this was a ninety minute don't do drugs ad though. Oh, yeah. Best scene in this, this movie. Was. I don't think this movie has you know, that like 80s it's like a public air. service announcement that Joel Schumacher tries to make with vampires because he thinks vampires are sexy. Oh well, there. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, him too, they do the make drugs look really cool in this movie. Right, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like the they vampires. Cool. They smoke weed. They fly. They drink blood. They, they ride. Drink- one of my comments actually was that there's no way Michael's going to beat them in a dirt bike race because they've had eternity to practice dirt bikes. <laughs> and, and yet they continue to choose to use dirt bikes. Um, yes. That scene is the best sequence in the movie to me. Uh, Michael, when Michael meet, finally getting to meet Star, 
getting trying to get her out of town to go make out, getting interrupted. They go on the dirt bike race. You know he's getting set up to go off a cliff. Like everybody in the universe knows it's happening except Michael. We should let Michael know what's going on. Yeah. Michael. Good night, Michael. Bombs away. <laughs> Bottoms up, man. <laughs> Woo! Come with us, Michael. catches it and he survives and uh and then like then it goes to the train uh scene which is the no, best no scene no in the no movie. no between oh, that no. scene and the train scene he drinks the blood that's important the noodles oh, right. no Michael. no he doesn't right uh, the Michael, noodles how are your, oh, yeah, he how are your no no he, your he drops from the train he drops from the train before no. he drinks the blood no that's how true. he gets to False. the lair isn't it nope nope really not true wow. I, know. No. I watched this like four hours ago <laughs> and took copious <laughs> notes soul is right no, he uh, he drinks the blood, and then that's where I wrote the whole like you know PDA, don't do drugs, get it. Thanks very much. Well, that um, scene. So vampires can apparently drink blood, and also Chinese food. Yes, first. You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael. How could a billion Chinese people be wrong? <laughs> Come on. How those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? That's what I was. I wrote was vampires. Why, whenever they're trying to recruit another vampire, are they always so fucking cryptic? about everything well, they're just like oh hey we're just we're not going to tell you what's going on hey you like our way of life you like what's going on here there's like you want to fly we're fucking vampires it's awesome are you in or you out like, so simplify the sales pitch i was imagining yeah. how they got the chinese food which was maybe they ordered out to their cave and like the, the guy came and he's just like oh shit man we're gonna freak this fucking guy out and you know alex winter's like did you get the chinese food he's like yeah i got it man we're gonna like freak this guy out so bad What's He's the actor? Brave. Michael's brave. I yeah. thought they did a good job of making him legitimately like a brave. Like, and to Corey Haim's credit, I thought Sam was also brave, and they kind of made it like seem like that's part of like their character trait, like in a legit way. Like they're both a little stubborn. If I was hanging out with those dudes, I would have been so freaked out. I would have been like crying on the floor. 
and he's like straight faced handling it. Like they're changing food on him. He's eating bugs. He's high as shit. Like, and he handles it like a champ. <laughs> I just got to say like, that's, Michael's a strong dude. That's a great point. Actually. I think the same thing that got Michael into trouble and made him a vampire also saved his life and saved his family. Like yeah. it was kind mm. of a nice little arc. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like <laughs> I feel like Edgar and Alan Man, really Solo, saved the family. And that Lost Boys. But no, look, I just look, <laughs> you make a statement. I just want to at least propose <laughs> that it's not entirely accurate. Is do you want to talk about who actually saved the family? If it wasn't for Edgar and Alan Frog, that family is vampire food. Well, it was and Alan Grandpa saying, and Grandpa and, and the Grandpa. clutch. But yes, you grandpa. still shouldn't take away from Michael's efforts. Michael is like, he realizes he's turning into a vampire. He almost kills his brother. And from that point on, he's like, he's under, he's pretty under control. Like he keeps under control and has, does what he has to do. Um, so Dave, when she, when Star takes him out and you meet the boy in your version of the story, my, I wanted to add, they could have a scene where like she asked Michael to help them. And he's like, I can't fight vampires. And she like bites her wrist and lets him drink her blood or something like that. That's good. Yeah. Vampire battle. did it. There you go. (laughs) Title of the next Blade movie. (laughs) That's a nice thing about the movie is they don't over-explain, like, the vampire rules. Like, they explain them when they need to, and then they just let you fill in the rest. Because it's like, everyone's seen vampires before. You know the deal. Uh, Here's the movie. But I do have one major question for you, though, Mike. Yes. Do you buy the whole, (laughs) if you invite a vampire into your house, you lose all other powers to fight him? I mean... Every vampire movie is different. That's you tried movie. to make me a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you made him from Brooklyn, Sprague. You tried to make me a killer. That's how he delivers I, that I, line. I, I, thought was, I thought he was. I thought he was. I thought he was like uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Had a little like Austrian tone to it. Stick around. No, no, I just like I, how he said killer. Killer. Like, but you passed the test. Don't ever invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy. It renders you powerless. Did you know that? Of course. Everyone knows that. Has everyone gone crazy here? What's the matter with all of you? It was you I was after all along, Lucy. What? I knew that if I could get Sam and Michael into the family, there's no way you could say no. Where's Michael? It was all going to be so perfect, Lucy. Just like one big happy family. Your boys. And my boys. Great. The blood sucking Brady Bunch. But I still want you, Lucy. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind about that. The thing is with good directors of uh, people who make good vampire movies especially they don't over explain all the rules to you they just like throw right. you in the world so you think of like let the right one in it's a really great vampire movie uh uh and with the vampire that's pretty good right i mean i don't know maybe yeah, sure. that's what we need to do but i don't remember that one which one uh, interview? But there's interview like the good vampire movies yeah. it's like you know you know the rules and then when they do throw something in there like why didn't he like die from eating garlic they have an answer for it, and it's you're yeah. like, cool. Now they fight. Yeah, yeah. it was but great. Also I like that the characters yeah. got it wrong. Like what you're saying, Mike. Like yeah. the characters know vampires too. They're they're yeah. talking about. It. They're not like, what the hell are these? Like 
the dead are coming back to life. What's happening? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> like anybody in reality would be like, oh, zombies? Like, wait, really? Zombies? And you would know exactly like what zombies meant. Right. Like, yeah. Nobody yeah. in this world is people in this world have heard of vampires and i like that although i agree with you yeah go ahead for a quick minute talk about how terrible the police department in santa carla must be if (laughs) they're werewolves but uh, yeah so that's that we're just we're chalking it all up to that it's just werewolves in city hall and then we can't that's it moving on you can chalk up anything you want to it it's great it just erases so many questions (laughs) <laughs> no, look, the werewolves made a deal with the vampires. They said, we're going to take over. You can be out, you know, in your little shitty cave. You can eat any punk and who's surf homeless Nazi and surf want. Nazi. We don't care. We're going to keep all that quiet. But you can't eat just, like, families. Families are off limits. And I you think that's, like, Lost Got Boys it. 2, where they fight each other. The werewolves like and the vampires you see, fingers finally. together, scissored. Yes. Well, we know this from what we do Sister? in the shadows, the vampires <laughs> and, the, and the werewolves and, and underworld. They made a pact. They're cool. It's like you eat right. the oh. Nazis. They were not cool in underworld, man. I've seen at least four of those mm-hmm. movies. I couldn't tell you anything about them, except Michael Sheen is amazing in all of them. Well, you know, <laughs> there's you a lot of geo, geopolitics also. involved in the underworld. Yeah, I know it's it's complex, and the fact that they, regardless of when your vampire movie was made, you you need to also adhere to these rules also makes it convenient, <laughs> I guess. You know, it's interesting <laughs> when you off target, guys. Come on. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I like I wrote this down. So when we go to the comic book shop for the first time, now as a kid, I never thought about this, and I didn't think about this until now, where I was like. Those two brothers, the Frog Brothers, are at the comic book shop like alone every time we see them. But they yeah. did explain this in the beginning, and they're... I finally caught it that they said, you know, some line where they're like, "Yeah, what do you think? We were just brothers who work at a comic book shop that our, our parents own." Yeah, and that was a line, and I was like, "Oh, okay, so they're not homeless weird. They didn't well, somehow see, open up no, a comic their, book their shop." Their parents are in the back of the shop in one of the scenes. They're like, no, hey, they're dummies. Are they the hippies that are like, they're dummies in every scene? Yes. This whole they're movie is hippies position. versus hair punks. <laughs> they they're don't dummies. That whole movie. Yeah. They're dummies. They're not I don't know. real people. I'm not saying they're actually his, <laughs> the, the parents as characters. I think they're just like, they're the shot that every time you went into like someone's kooky bookstore or the secret lair and they had to do like a close up on like oddity. So they do a close up on the dummy uh, hippies who are like sitting there because if you look in all the other shots, they have not moved that position in every shot. So I, I don't think, that, think those are their parents. I think they're I think actual that's dummies. I in think the that stores. is their parents. But I'm just what if that's their parents <laughs> and they just they're like these permanently latchkey kids? Like their parents are there, but they're just not really there anymore. I'm going to tell you that their the parents shop. OD'd. Okay, so that's, well, that's the way they look. They OD'd. Six, they a lot of the B roll. A lot of the B roll uses the motif. Uh, the visual motif of like burned out hippies throughout the whole movie, like in the, in the store with the parents in the beginning, when they're setting up all these different kinds of like counterculture looks, there's all like their grandpa for all the entire this. movie. <laughs> what grandpa for the entire movie. Right. Grandpa. Yeah. But there's like these, these aged hippies that are uh, like lost to society, like in the background of all this. I think that's on purpose. And like the good people wear blousey clothes and the bad guys wear tight clothes. Uh, there's like, this is the, I think this is a testament to how 
interesting and and how much I like this movie. Because there's all these little details, and I've seen this movie a thousand times that just every time I see it, another detail like pops out to me, you know? And it's like yeah. it's all it's a very well like it's it's Joel Schumacher was like, this is my chance to like fucking make my movie. And I think he really pulls it off. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I'm gonna come back to this though. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that all those tropes that you that Sprague said aren't in the movie. Like, I totally agree with that. I'm literally saying that the two hippie things in the back <laughs> of the store are not real people. They okay. are actual <laughs> dummies that are in the store as part of how weird the store is. So they're not their parents. That, that's my... That's I don't I agree with you, from. but I'm going to read. No, I, 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 <laughs> I won't. I won't be passionately defending this. Yes, yeah, people, but I, not you're, real. I think we we will just never know, and that's yeah. Fine. We, there's no way we could ever learn. So it's no, no fuck that. Fine. I'm going back and watching this. Team. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know in like 20 minutes. I don't Hold even on. Know. There's no. There's no way to know. Did I hope Timmy Capello not teach you anything? Did not? Did Timmy Capello not teach you how to love? No, look. I'm sorry if Mike. If Mike freeze framed the uh, the newspaper in mannequin to read us the script, so for everyone on the podcast, I'm going to freeze frame a scene of the movie so you can hear this freeze frame of the movie. Makes total sense for the medium. It really does. Sense. All right, everyone, close your eyes. <laughs> and here, Not put neon in your eye. <laughs> I have a I have something we we we're seeing this 80s thing and this is 87 same thing in mannequin breathlessness from the lead the heroine always everybody's got breathlessness did did I, Stallone have breathlessness in over the top which came out the same year <laughs> yes or predator he's definitely a mouth breather the same, well, yeah <laughs> yes. Think about what he's doing for most of these movies. Yeah, you're going to run out of Jamie, breath at some Jamie, point. Jamie, uh, what's her face? <laughs> Jamie yes. Gertz? Is Gertz. that how you say it? Gertz? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, the whole part of the, the whole part of the movie. Yes, that's true, too. <laughs> the whole part of the movie where part. she's speaking to him. Michael, I'm talking to you like this. I just ran a mile. Yeah, I love but you. <laughs> it works. Dude, it works. And Diane Weiss, too. It's so Diane Weiss, but you're catching the pattern. Like Diane Le I don't like Diane Weiss usually. I, I generally, honestly, like I've seen a lot of movies with her for some reason, but I don't generally like watching yeah. her. It's nothing personal. I just don't like her like style. <laughs> and, no, it's but, personal. But, I, I, but I just don't movie, like her as a person. Diane Weiss, <laughs> fuck that keep woman. It your, keep it yourself, Solo. <laughs> but what Dave's saying, I think she fits the movie because of that. Even though I don't like mm. her, but yeah. everybody's doing it, so it like kind of makes her like fit in by default. And Kiefer Sutherland, that. to me, as people, it was interesting was to go back and think about this being Kiefer's like breakout role, and what's really kind of strangely brilliant. I, I, oh, that's what a lot me? of people. Oh yeah, sure. That I was mean, a no, breakout, though. This is like breakout. Like when True. you think of Kiefer Sutherland's roles, it's like Lost Boys is up there. But he has no. I wasn't lines. questioning. I was just survived. I couldn't. No, but it. that's Go what ahead, I was going to say, which is the brilliant part, kind of about it. Every time I have seen this movie over the years, I you, you can't help but really like think that Kiefer Sutherland is so much a part of the movie, and he's really not in the movie as much as you think. He doesn't really have any lines. Yeah. But what do we all quote, Michael? Michael. Yeah. I used to do that oh. to Mike when to get hey. him up in the morning. Fun his, game. 
Here, I read, and, and if you read this fun fact, you're not participating in this fun game. How many times okay. do they say Michael in the movie? Ooh, I did not read this fact. 100. Anybody else not read it? Not enough. Dave's guess is 100. I'm going to say, wow, that, was, that makes me feel like mine's really low. I'll go, so I'm going to up it. I'm going to go 42. Your price of writing it. Oh. 42 Sprague. Mike, uh, what is your guess of how many times they say Michael in the movie? I'll go with 32. 32. Oh, dead. Dave, they say Michael 118 times wow. in this movie. Oh, shit. Boom. Damn. Michael. Price you win. Congrats. So I bet there's the supercut out there. I'm gonna try to find a supercut of the, every time they say Michael. I'm Michael. Michael. Michael's great. I like Michael. This is Michael. 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 Michael.
what day is that? Great. How, how much gear do you need? Great. I'll be there. Yeah, it's going to be this much money. And then I'm like, <laughs> back, <laughs> back to sleep. Woken from for a- everybody, for everybody listening, you need to understand that uh, Mike or Googs, as we affectionately call him, can sleep at any point for any period of time. An in Olympic any level, an Olympic level sleeper. <laughs> like, yeah. It has, yeah, it has ideally, true. it's really suited me for my job uh, of film and TV <laughs> production because, like, literally, I work. 12 hour days and sometimes i'll just like sleep for an hour and they'll be like it's time to go and i'll be like boom we're ready to go let's go let's shoot this so uh you're like a like a vampire <laughs> i'm like a vampire oh. you're basically like a vampire only I, I only i don't have hilarious <laughs> hilarious feet they had the funniest <laughs> fucking feet in this movie oh my god that was the best part i laughed i cracked up that was the one scene i rewound when when you they do like a close-up of his feet yes like, what is that when they're hanging from the ceiling yeah. how do they wear shoes <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody notices this on the boardwalk how, so do, you shift your, how do you shift your motorbike with three toes family <laughs> like, really i'm well. gonna say keep too i like to as uh, as you know you create your own little uh, vampire world I, I liked that they slept like bats. That was kind of like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I actually cool. really enjoy that as like, you know, yeah. adding that on as a different thing. I know. That's my just, None of this was And scary, Timmy Capello. Though. I love Timmy Capello. Yes. Multi-instrumentalist. <laughs> Throbbing sax. I was going to say sax and what? He bounces his pecs? What's his yeah. other instrument? <laughs> sax on the beach. <laughs> the tightest pants ever and some hip throbbing. He, he was working it, man. Greased just, up, too. This Greased is not that up. was a good party. I guess that was a good party. That was <laughs> yeah. like a throwdown. That was a really good party. I appreciate Beach a good party. party. I was yeah. there for that party. Oh, my God. I want to go to that party. If I, I want to go to Santa Carlos. This town looks awesome. I'm in. One of the awesome <laughs> things I got to do uh, in my travels, I was shooting an episode of Ghost Adventures, and I got to go to Santa Cruz, and I got to go to the boardwalk where they shot Lost Boys, and I hung out in that amusement park. I went to the parking lot where they kill the security guard in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the bridge that they drop off of, which nice. is really amazing because the actual bridge is not very high off the ground. I thought that was a soundstage for sure, by the no, way. No, it's the real bridge is there. It's it's amazing. So much smoke machines. I can't oh. imagine their smoke machine budget, the fog machine budget on this movie. Well, they need millions of dollars. They needed to do that because if you see how far the drop actually is off the bridge, it's not scary at right. all. And it's over it's a great idea. ocean. It's over water. It's like this this little stream that goes out into the ocean. And if you actually dropped off that bridge, you'd be fine. All right, so does anybody, what do you got? Final thoughts. There was a contact lens consultant on this movie, which I bring up to you, Dave, because I know you are a zombie movement consultant on a movie. So that was my next most uh, strange (laughs) job to have. (laughs) Contact lens consultant. I was the zombie movement consultant on Jim Jarmusch's uh, The Dead Don't Die, and my job was to come up with a vocabulary for all the extras to follow movement wise. <laughs> and you were actually awesome. in the New Yorker, which was really funny because they mentioned, <laughs> they don't really mention a lot of names except for the main stars. And then they're just like, oh yeah, there's a zombie movement consultant and his name is Dave Gugino. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, well, how did he figure it out? Did he hang out in uh, graveyards and pick up tips from ghouls? So that was well, his yes. little ch- Yeah. Just like you guys. 
natural <laughs> zombie mover. Just like the contact lens consultant who had <laughs> quite figure out what he wanted to do in life. He's working at a, you know, whatever. Autonomy. Lens crafter. Lens crafter. <laughs> <laughs> and finally he gets a big break. Joel Schumacher comes to him. And he says, I got this great movie. It's called The Lost Boys. And we really need a great contact lens, lens consultant. And he's like, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. And he's like, well, this is the guy that's shit. always trying to sell to the clients. He's like, hey, man, I can make you look yeah. like a vampire. And they're like, no, I just I just want to play in contact lens. Can you? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to look like a vampire. And then word gets around. And then all of a sudden, Joel comes calling. Joel comes calling, and that's his big break. And he's like, get it together, man. Get it together. (laughs) This is Hollywood. This is the big time. You got to come through. You got to pick the right lenses for this movie because this is my career's on the line. (laughs) Jimmy Capello's in this. Jimmy Capello's in this. Holy (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jimmy, call us. Okay. All right, Mike. It's time to ask the question. Uh, we run out of jokes. So before we get into <laughs> never <deliberating, laughs> before we get into deliberating uh, about whether this movie sucks now, uh, we just wanted to uh, let you know what some of the listeners thought about this movie. Dave, you have some comments from Facebook. Yes, uh, and so we do have a Facebook page. Uh, it's Does It Suck Now? You can look it up. You can join. You can follow. But, uh, and we have some friends. So David Mullen, uh, who I'm assuming is someone's friend, um, said, uh, this is Kiefer Sutherland's breakout role. Uh, I've been trying to keep up and show my nine-year-old daughter these movies, meaning the ones on the podcast, as they come out. I can't wait her, I can't wait to show her this. She loved Kroll and Big Trouble in Little China. And she really wants you guys to do her favorite movie that I have shown her. Flash Gordon. Please don't let your nine-year-old listen to this podcast. (laughs) I'm like immediately regretting some words. It hurts my soul. (laughs) And the last one, this is from Leilani McBriar. And it merely says, and I think this sums up the whole movie, sexy sax man. (laughs) So sexy. So sexy. Timmy. Solo, Solo, why don't you talk shit on Sexy Sax Man a little bit? I don't want to talk shit. Why would I do that? Thank you. I just wanted to. I just put, you know what? You know what Sexy Sax Man is not? Scary. It's not scary. (laughs) He's not supposed to be. That's not a horror movie. (laughs) That's why this movie is great. He's not supposed to be scary. But none of this movie is supposed to be scary. So stop, public service request, (laughs) stop calling this a horror movie. Everybody yeah. that writes about this movie, just stop calling it a horror movie. It's not By the way, I pee the bed because I'm scared. <laughs> you're not going to be there to help me. Show your nine year olds. Show your eight year olds. Show your no. seven year olds. No, don't, don't, really, don't, don't. Don't. Just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, okay, there's oh, yeah. a game that if you guys want to put onto our Facebook page, it's give uh, a lost boy of your choice a, a, a backstory, whatever you feel. Does Alex Winter's world, um, you know, go into Bill and Ted? Was he, but was, you know, was the blonde haired guy in Winger and then got bored and became a vampire? Was the other guy, who was the other guy? No. As, yeah. as, Edgar, as Edgar Frog says, Twisted Sister. 
sisters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into our final deliberation, we had some people send us some voice memos. I'm going to play them right now. One is from Josh and one is from Carrie. Hi, this is Josh Inman talking about Lost Boys. I have very fond memories of Lost Boys. It was the first R-rated movie I ever saw, I'm pretty sure. So I rewatched it this week expecting it to be problematic or dated, but I was actually pleasantly surprised. It was really fun and definitely doesn't suck now. Short okay. and sweet. Love it. Sure, yeah. third Josh. Just jump on the same that, Josh. Babe. Yes. <laughs> so that was Josh, and this is Carrie. We've been watching old movies with our 11-year-old, who's finally mature enough to handle more adult scenes. Um, and since we have some extra time on our hands, and bedtime is no longer a thing, two nights ago we watched Lost Boys. She was unimpressed, and I quote, it was okay, but not my favorite vampire movie. However, she doesn't like Star Wars, and her favorite so far has been Bill and Ted for the fact that she likes history, so her opinion is already a little iffy. Um, I think it's a classic, um, and I already loved it, so, um, but I also think it was more nostalgia than it being really an amazing movie. Um, that being said, Keith Sutherland still scares the crap out of me. All right. She, what was that last sentence she said solo? I missed that part. She Kiefer, said that Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland still scares the crap out of her. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. And Timmy yeah. Capello. Would you say it was scary? <laughs> solo? Scary? <laughs> now, all right. So I'll just jump into it. No, it was not scary. This is not a horror movie. Uh, and I feel if there was only. The only criticisms I had with it were some some questionable choppy pacing and like some gaps in the storytelling that made me even care less about like the serious aspect of the movie than I think I should have. Um, but I thought it was uh, funny and I thought it was like 80s riffic and looking at it through the whole lens of this generational tug of war and values and the vampires are going to take your kids and get them hooked on drugs. And I thought it was, it was hilarious. And, um, (laughs) it does not suck, but I also did not think that it was like a great story movie either. Like it was a collection of like fun moments more than it was a movie for me. So it's, I don't know. We'll do rankings later, I guess. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't suck, but I also like again. It was it's another movie from my eighties that I was slightly disappointed in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Dave, Dave, okay. Does it suck now? Now <laughs> it sucks always. Now. So um, I I actually really loved revisiting this movie, and I read a. Um, a review from uh, Cecil and Ebert, and I tended to really agree with them that they thought it was um, great movie making, like really great, well done. And I thought it was one of the first movies that we watched other than Big Trouble in Little China that had good movie making that kept me in the story. Um, I agree with uh, Solo that it still had the same story gaps and whatnot that I've talked about forever, but I didn't really mind it that much this time. I was kind of like, I'm going to go with the flow on it. Um, I would say I, you can watch the movie. I think it's another drinking movie. And I think you you might have a drinking problem. Oh, no. Well, (laughs) sure. I'm on this podcast with you guys. 
So, I mean. <laughs> Wait, Dave, 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 before you finish, there is a, a Lost Boys drinking game. I sent it to you guys. Oh, I know. I, I saw that. It also said drink every time they say Michael, and that's not healthy. <laughs> I feel like this is another drinking game where the rules are start the movie, start drinking, stop the movie, stop drinking. Stop the movie. Because <laughs> it's like every time he says Michael, every time, what's it? Every time both Corey's touch. <laughs> <laughs> Often with their faces. <laughs> I thought too. It's like three bottles of Jameson and just drink every oh time God. you see '80s hair hair somewhere because Son, it's just like I think awful. It's, <laughs> I think it's a very fun movie though. That once again, I think you could watch it once on your own and still really get a kick out of it. And but also it would be fun with a group of friends because it just kind of has that feel to it. So mm-hmm. I would say I do not think this movie sucks now. Josh Sprague, does this movie suck now? Uh, no, I think this movie absolutely does not suck. I don't think it's a masterpiece because if it is, it's like accidental. Like I said, I feel like it's like a this movie is like out of control. And I love that. And I honestly wouldn't change anything because of how like it's like the perfect ingredients to get this movie one time and we got it. And I just think it's nuts. And the flaws don't matter because I like it so much. Uh, I think the performances are all on point for the, for like, Corey Haim's a little shaky in the beginning, but I think he gets there. And, um, and we didn't even talk about just one of the most gonzo moments of the whole movie is when uh, David is impaled, doubly impaled on the antlers of some taxidermy, which is another trope we didn't talk about. You know, the taxidermy at the cabin. And uh, after a giant log tank crashes into the house, <laughs> so David is or David is lying dying on the um, on the taxidermy, and the music goes from like what it's been the whole movie with these like very eighties synth heavy stuff into this choral chanting of "Thou shall not kill" by like this. Oh, you know, so ethereal good. choir out of nowhere. And it's so <laughs> over the top. It's just wonderful. I just loved it. Like, You afraid to face me, David? Huh? I tried to make you immortal. You tried to make me a killer! <laughs> <laughs> so is mine! take a movie with flaws that goes that just like is like we're just going as far as we can with this with this idea nine out of ten times for any other movie honestly i just love it i love seeing filmmakers really go for broke and joel schumacher went really fucking went for it with this movie he was not coming in as a backup he was coming in slinging the ball all over the field he was fucking nick Foles in this movie i just loved it it does not suck does antlers do antlers michael like 
Does, do I want to qualify Michael. as as uh, stake through the heart? Michael. They're not wooden. <laughs> They're not. Yeah. But you know what? Who cares? At that point, yeah. I wasn't going to question this movie anymore. I don't care. They're, they're dead. <laughs> what are rules? Michael. Michael. Antlers Michael are wood-ish. <laughs> Michael. Deer are made of wood? Is that what we've learned? Michael. <laughs> no, are, you drinking, are you drinking solo? Is that why you keep saying Michael? No, I'm just I'm trying to round <laughs> He's out. motivating himself. Michael. <laughs> trying to hand it off to Michael. <laughs> okay. Like, I think maybe I have the most, probably the most uh, the best experience of watching this movie of all wait guys. i love this movie you're stealing my experience from me if Don't you validate if you love it i double love it <laughs> <laughs> because like it was weird i tried so hard to look at this through like a critical eye but i just loved it so much that i didn't yeah. give a fuck i didn't give a fuck when they were like saying santa carla is infested with vampires and there's like seven <laughs> like i don't care seven i guess there's a lot of vampires for a town i don't know Some humanity has really normalized their condition yeah. in this world. they're like it's fine that there's just dozens of yeah. people disappearing every summer it's great i guess one mm-hmm. vampire would seem We're like fine. a lot though you know a lot yeah. of vampires is one but with, <laughs> it's it's the uh it's the werewolves in city hall that are using the reverse propaganda to make yeah, us all normalized to the vampires the werewolves right. in city hall it all goes back to social that. engineering so I just really want to. Uh, uh, I tried so hard just not to like this movie, and I just found myself grinning ear to ear watching the whole thing. And I think because, um, I think because like Joel Schumacher does really just like swing at everything and hope to hit a home mm-hmm. run in every movie he does. And some like if you watch that Batman and Robin, he did that one right with George. Clooney. I will go to bat for that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, well, straight up, we'll go to bat for that movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. <laughs> But, like, he really, like, swings for the fences. And when he hits it, like, this movie is is so in the cultural lexicon that it is, like, hard to imagine. Like, like I feel like he wanted it to be that way, and somehow it is that way. Right. <laughs> somehow. That's yeah. the magic. But somehow is the magic. It's inexplainable why this movie works. It and really I is. He willed it to perfect timing and place. Yeah. yeah. But like, for, seriously, like, of all... It's a treasure. Movie, of all the movies we've done so far, there's probably not many think pieces written about Kroll, but there's like a million... <laughs> Putting that on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how, there's so many... Quarantine papers. list number one. To do. <laughs> there's so many papers written on this, about this movie, about just how like it challenges the idea of the nuclear family, like how it celebrates queerness, how it like sort of subconsciously addresses the AIDS epidemic. Like, there's so much wonderful subtext in this movie. Whether that, purposeful or not. Whether purposeful or not, but, like... It's that's irrelevant. What it's there. I, I feel like as a good artist, that's what you strive to do is, like, is to sort of, like, wipe your hands of the work and say it's out there in the world and then and just, to have it just have a lo- complete life of its own. And yeah, I feel like... I agree everybody, everybody makes their own of it. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well said, Mike. I like, agree with this, exactly with what you said. This movie is just wonderful on so many levels that... Watching it, I can't separate my emotions from my thoughts in any way. Like, I'm just enjoying the whole ride of it and every little detail. Like, I was saying, like, one of the details I noticed is how awesome the character of the grandpa is. Like, he gets the best <laughs> jokes in the movie, like, with uh, yeah. 
TV. Why do I need TV? TV? Like I have TV guide. And like this, <laughs> there's like another scene where he just has this, like another throwaway joke where he's like, uh, do you know you're supposed to like fill the tank of the car when you take the car out? And he's just <laughs> like, no. He's like, well, now you know. <laughs> you know the rule about filling up the car with gas when you take it without asking? No, Grandpa. Well, now you do. <laughs> Jason <laughs> Patrick's face. Yeah. That, that, was... that whole sequence, Jason Patrick is really good in that whole sequence when he's just like, he's got like nothing left in the tank. And he's trying to get this group of people home, just inside. He's like, we've got to not be outside for a while. And he's, he's like, got nothing left. And Grandpa sees him. It's so good. That was a great scene. Hits him with the zinger. <laughs> well, I mean, Grandpa, yeah. Down yeah. End of the movie, Grandpa has the, the, the clincher at the end of the movie with the yeah. awesome. Yeah. He's just uh, watching the, the kitchen, not grabs bad, the soda. All the vampires. All the fucking like, vampires. All the fucking <laughs> Shout vampires. out to Bernard Hughes. That's his name. Yeah. Bernard, Bernard Hughes. Hughes. One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. Let me, let me bring it all home. I will say emphatically this movie does not suck. Let's, get to, the, let's get to the rankings. Rankings. Uh, so I have a feeling I might have a new number one tonight. Ooh, wow. Uh, be- all right. Well, then all go. The you I go said. first. Well, yeah. So for it. me, and I, th- I feel like this is going to be the subject of debate, is I think Lost Voice is number one and Big Trouble in my Little China is my number two now. Because I think like... Drinking Malibu, yeah. I love John Carpenter. <laughs> Yeah, I love John Carpenter so much. Uh, you know, Big, Big Trouble in Little China is a perfect movie. But, like, Lost Boys is, like, that lightning in a bottle of a movie that's, like, a mm-hmm. great, like, a great iconic movie that just lasts forever. And it's, like, a reference point for culture, not just, like, movie nerds, you know? Mm. Okay. Boom. Uh, okay. Better. All right, better. Solo, your turn. My turn? All right. Um... All the points that you just made about <laughs> about this movie, I feel, at least in my opinion, are more applicable to Big Trouble in Little China, with the exception of the iconic movie thing, which I don't give a shit about. Like, if a movie's <laughs> iconic in a certain time frame, like, I will roll that into the context and appreciate it as I'm watching it, but I'm certainly not going to give it bonus points for, like, capturing lightning in a bottle. So Big yeah. Trouble in Little China is still number one. I'm even putting Kroll at number two. I'm going to put this at a solid three, obviously. Thank God. Beastmaster and Mannequin. <laughs> at least you didn't put Mannequin. Wait, so Mannequin's last, right? You're not putting Mannequin, mannequin above yeah, Beastmaster. Yeah, I, t- I said before I can't keep both my testicles right. and put Mannequin above Beastmaster. Number five okay. is number one. <laughs> Dave. All right. Um, All right, Dave. So Mannequin number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um I, you know <laughs> i'm gonna have to go like on the criteria of which movie would i watch again and like if i caught it on now literally it's tough to say because i definitely probably would watch lost boys if it was on tv but i would make a point to actually watch big trouble in little china and that just might be my own mm-hmm. personal obsession with that movie so that's still number one i definitely think lost boys is number two uh crawl three mannequin four and beastmaster five just to just to cause a little tension question though is is it because mannequin three 
And no. my mind went blank for a minute there. Is that what you said? Wait, I put mannequin. It... I put, what was it? Uh, so Beastmaster here's the question, last. though. Is Big yeah. Trouble in Little China number one because um, it's genuinely a better movie or just because you love it more? I mean, I think that's what we're trying to I, get at here. I you would can, say it, I think it's a better movie because, uh, but also it comes down to it. my personal feelings of like what I like. I like action. I like David Lopan. Mm. I like <laughs> Kim Cattrall. <laughs> I, I, I love the magic. I love Kung Fu stuff. I love all of that. Like and all the tropes they threw into it. So they're my favorite tropes. I'm not necessarily like a horror person. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate in Lost Boys like the exploding toilet when Twisted Sister. Oh my god, that was disgusting! Yeah. And I knew that was a that was a throwback to other. Um, also, eighty seven Evil Dead two came out just to give you some uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. But I know it's a throwback to other horror movies that I've kind of seen clips of before then, and I really appreciate it. Like I loved when he wanted to be disgusting, that it was disgusting. Yeah. But this is a personal opinion, then you know, for me that I like action more than i like horror so for me i would still go back and watch big trouble in little china more than i would lost boys it's okay though it's not horror so don't worry about it all right (laughs) my turn it's frank please all right so uh, big trouble is still not my number one i think big trouble is a flawless movie and i think it's go for broke although i agree with mike on the like there's something like really magical about lost boys and uh, and that's really something that's hard to replicate, and you kind of have to like, cherish that when you get a movie that does that. Um, but I still, I just, Big Trouble in Little China is responsible, like I said, for one of like my three greatest movie-going experiences of my life in a theater. So for, that one's always going to be near the top of my list. Uh, Lost Boys is two. Crawl is three. I love Crawl. Crawl's in the same ballpark. It's at least in my love, if not a movie. Uh, Beastmaster 4, Mannequin 5. Well, that's fair. That's All right, fair. There you go. I think. And so. actually, if you didn't know, I was lying. Mannequin so then, last. Overall, I did not know. Overall, <laughs> then, then between all of us, uh, then let's just agree that Big Trouble in Little China is number one. I'll, I'll say on the, I'll on the team it. board. But it's yeah. for me, it's close. Like it's not. You know, I think both those movies are pretty good. So it that was a hard decision. Number two, Lost Boys. Number three was Kroll. Which we're finding out is a classic. <laughs> I, I'm putting Crawl awesome. for the yeah. record above Lost Boys. Just me. Yeah. I know it's just me, but that's that's all right. Uh, I, number I love four Crawl. is Beastmaster. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. bad. I really it's like bad. Beastmaster. <laughs> the first, like I said, the yeah. first hour of Beastmaster is way better than anything in Mannequin. Yeah, agreed. And Mannequin's that's number true. five. Uh, so that's our list. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to uh, this podcast, this awesome, dumb podcast uh, during this pandemic. Uh, Bless you all. Yes, please, please keep sending like really nasty comments and <laughs> supportive comments and whatever you want to me. Yes, and answer Dave's question of give us your best backstory for your favorite Lost Boy. I really want to know about Blonde Guy. Blonde guy who was in a winger cover band called Stinger. Is um, that real? <laughs> no, I just made that up. But that's like what you can do when you make up a backstory for. He played the keyboard in Example, funny example. I know there, there was go. so much. Well, there's so He's much Canadian. <laughs> There was so much in this podcast that I don't think we actually got to get to. So it would be nice. We'll read some comments at the beginning of the next podcast. 
because uh, this movie you can unpack it for days. Yeah, it's great. It's but so you only good. have watch four. Lost, watch stories over. It's so good. <laughs> so thank True. you for listening to. Uh, Does it suck now? And the answer is no. No, it does not. No, doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. Nope.